Welcome to this episode of Disrupt, a podcast of the Cedarville University Center for Pharmacy Innovation. Today on the podcast, I am joined by Dr. Cass Siebert, Director of Pharmacy Services for RX Architects. Her practice is primarily consulting with a special interest in pharmacist impact assessments in the post-acute and long-term care setting. Cass also serves as an adjunct faculty member for the University of Cincinnati College of Pharmacy. She precepts students, acts as a site coordinator for pharmacy residents, and guest lectures within their geriatric elective. She's also published in many, many areas of pharmacy practice. Well, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. A lot of exciting things are going on here in the Center for Pharmacy Innovation at Cedarville University. First, I just wanted to announce that the center has officially launched a LinkedIn presence. So if you're on LinkedIn, we'd love to have you um, go and give us a follow, um, interact with our content, let us know some things you'd like us to focus on both within the center and also on the podcast. So come on over to LinkedIn and follow us at the Center for Pharmacy Innovation. Also, the center continues to establish new partnerships that are poised to cause positive ripples all over pharmacy practice, and we look forward to sharing more of these in the near future. But in the meantime, I'm excited to have Cass Siebert here, Director of Pharmacy Services for RX Architects, in the studio today for this month's podcast. So welcome to the podcast, Cass. Hey, thanks for the invite. I'm super excited to hang out with you folks here at Cedarville today. Sounds great. Okay, well, we're going to just turn the mic right over to you and let you introduce yourself. Tell us a bit more about your own background and what you do as a consultant pharmacist. Yeah, so uh, just generalized background. I'm actually from North Dakota. little fun fact, easy little icebreaker. Um, I did my undergrad and played basketball in college in Nebraska, um, where I achieved my associates of mathematics and then a bachelor's in biochemistry. Um, Had the opportunity to go to pharmacy school at Neomed um, up near Cleveland. Um, Following that, I did a PGY-1 with the University of Cincinnati, which is where I received my geriatrics and consulting training. Um, Additional longitudinal training we've completed include board-certified geriatric pharmacists, my BCGP, um, and then I'm also an American Society of Consultant Pharmacists, or ASCP, fellow. So as a consultant pharmacist, um, I provide a myriad of services to the um, post-acute and long-term care, or PALTAC as we like to call it in the industry, um, facilities as well as long-term care or LTC dispensing pharmacies. Um, From a micro level, um, that looks like direct patient care, clinical assessments for patients. On a macro level, that's going to be corporate or global initiatives. These could be regulatory, cost savings, clinical initiatives that their medical directors are are focused on, as well as, um, you know, policies associated with CMS and other regulatory bodies. So a whole host or myriad of things that we do, which is nice because a little uh, potpourri or or mixed bag of things makes uh, the job interesting. Yeah, and I guess another fun fact, your your husband's a pharmacist too as well, right? That is correct. I'll, to kind of piggyback off that, we didn't go to the same pharmacy school. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> he attended Sanford University. I actually met him when I was in Cincinnati for residency training. And uh, Lord knows that man is patient for dealing with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've gotten to know Casey well here at the center, and we're uh, super thankful for his partnership. So, um, okay, I want to dive a little bit more into this idea of post-acute and um, long-term care medicine. So, you use an acronym, and I'm not, I'm not going to butcher it. I'm going to let you say it. But t- 
Tell us more, what does a day in the life of someone who's in this space look like? You can tell your own story or just kind of tell us generally. What does this look like for a pharmacist? Yeah, so I guess it just depends on which portion of Paltac you're looking at. So let's define that first. So the American Medical Directors Association, or AMDA, has coined the term Paltac, which is the post-acute and long-term care medicine. And within that are sub-facility groups, right? So we're going to have skilled nursing facilities. So those are going to be historically geriatric patients who have a higher level of care, but not necessarily needing hospitalization. So they're, they're not capable of completing their ADLs activities of daily living at home, and they just need a little extra help, or maybe they have a variety of comorbidities that require advanced level care. Um, aside from skilled nursing facilities, we also have assisted living, um, which would be a step below in level of care. A lot of those individuals are capable of self-administering meds, but maybe they want to live in a group setting where they have meals prepared for them, um, you know, cleaning initiatives and activities that are provided by the facility. Separate from those two organizations are memory care, which can be either skilled nursing facility or an assisted living. Memory care is designation for, as you would imagine, individuals with um, cognitive um, dementia-related disorders. Um, and then we have some other special designations depending on the state in which you're practicing. So PC, which is personal care, is kind of a step between skilled nursing facilities and assisted living. And that's unique to Kentucky. Um, other states might call it something else, but since we're pretty close to Kentucky. Um, okay. And then last, well, actually two more, we have independent living. So those are going to be the, like apartments that are for individuals 55 plus who maybe host um, group medication um, deliveries from an LTC pharmacy or they partake in health services like flu shot clinics, um, falls clinics or other um, amenities that can be offered by our long-term care pharmacies. And then like a subsector from our geriatric population are our developmental disabilities or ICF, which is intermediate care facilities. So individuals with um, spectrum-based disorders, um, these are much smaller facilities, again, depending on the state in which you're practicing in. That could be somewhere between 6 and 12 patients. Um, I actually want to say Indiana capped it at 8 you know, don't quote me on that. So, aka the long-term care continuum, everything from um, independent living all the way up to skilled nursing. So, what does a pharmacist role look like in this space? What are some of the things that you get to do? Yeah. So, within the long-term care space, a consultant pharmacist actually hosts a very unique role. Specifically, we are written into CMS regulation, and very rarely does this happen that pharmacists are written into a process or procedure in that our services are deemed as not only valuable but important to patient care. So CMS, per the state operations manual, hosts that a consultant pharmacist should clinically review a skilled nursing patient's medication regimen at minimum every 30 days. So we work primarily with skilled nursing patients to uphold that CMS regulation. Now we do work within the other subsectors of PALTAC um, in a variety of different ways that can work from, you know, like group education classes um, to flu shot clinics. Um, we've done, you know, helping with preparing COVID policies and procedures, you name it, we've probably done it or something along the lines. And I, I never say no to a new learning opportunity for sure. 
So it's definitely one of the more varied types of pharmacy that you could practice. But again, uh, circling back to that CMS has granted us that kind of place at the table. Yeah, It just makes me think, how do we in other sectors advocate for similar legislation or requirements, right? Regulatory requirements in other spaces. I think we could learn a lot from that. But um, anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about today. So uh, I'd like to ask, how did you even get into this space? Tell me your story about that. Yeah, so I actually need to roll this all the way back to North Dakota. I was very blessed to be the daughter of two business owners. Um, That entrepreneurial spirit is very unique, and it is a mindset that is not um, specific to everyone. Um, It takes a special pair of shoes to kind of walk that path. Um, So my folks, Doug and Teresa, they owned and operated a safety company um, in northwest North Dakota. And so that kind of like sparked that um, entrepreneurial spirit. Fortunately, in the state of North Dakota, there are only two that I know of at this time, you may need to correct me, um, chain pharmacies in the entire state. Um, They have legislation that pharmacies need to be independently owned, and there's a cap on the number of pharmacies that you can own. So during my, you know, like while I was growing up, I worked in a pharmacy under a pharmacist named Bob. Bob owned two pharmacies, ND Pharmacy and then ND Pharmacy in Dickinson, North Dakota. And he kind of showed me what it was like to be a business owner within the pharmacy realm. So that was really exciting. When I was in undergrad, loving that independent pharmacy vibe, I worked again in another independent um, with Ken Marvin, who was an absolutely wonderful mentor, man. That man has so much patience um, for myself and some of the shenanigans that I pulled in his pharmacy. And and so those are the people that I can kind of thank for launching me into the pharmacy direction. Um, obviously, continuing into um, you know where I stand now, I've had a lot of pharmacy mentors who were also in that independent space. And for whatever reason, there's something very appealing to me about having the ability to make your own decisions. Now, that comes with a lot of legwork and a little extra effort. You may not always have, um, you know, teammates there to back you when you are the team. Um, or sometimes when you're operating as an independent pharmacist or business owner, there are challenges that you encounter where the consequences of the decisions you make fall directly on you. And that's something that's again, unique to small business ownership that fortunately I've had that mentorship from folks that were able to kind of pass that along to me. Oh, that's great. Uh, It's not often that people have that type of exposure to uh, those that have, like you said, an entrepreneurial mindset when they're young. And uh, what a blessing that is for you to have experienced uh, when you were young. So I would also like to know then, um, how did you get your foot in the door as an entrepreneur? I, I think it's fair to say that you're kind of both the brains and a lot of the work behind RX Architects right now. So um, so how did that start for you? Yeah, so I had the opportunity as a resident pharmacist to um, intern under a local consulting group here in Cincinnati and partner with a local dispensing pharmacy. They created an absolutely wonderful and robust experience that is very unique in the consulting world in that we had both the long-term care dispensing and the consulting piece together. Usually pharmacists know one or the other, but not both. 
So we had exposure to both aspects. Um, so that was my kind of introduction to consulting. Um, after that, I was retained um, as a 1099 or a subcontractor um, for that agency, moved to Indianapolis to kind of start working for them. But as a 1099 subcontractor and independent business owner, you have the ability to kind of branch out into other arenas. Obviously, you need to be respectful of contracts and and the individuals that you work with. So that is something that we keep in mind daily is is reviewing those contracts and ensuring that we're within within the lanes of operation. Um, but that was kind of where I got my start. And I am I am so thankful for the boys of Med Managers and then Joe and Wally over at Lifeline Pharmacy. Um, they certainly have been very impactful to my direction. Oh, that's great. So I also learned, as uh, we were just reviewing before this podcast, that you were recently named the 2023 ASCP National Educator of the Year from ASCP. So first, that's quite an honor. Congratulations. Uh, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that award and, and what your involvement with ASCP looks like and how that kind of works with what you're doing today. So I'm going to be short about the award, but we can talk about all kinds of things <laughs> ASCP. Okay. Um, so the award, um, I was nominated by my peers and then voted upon by my peers subfurther um, based on my work with students, residents, and pharmacy learners of all levels. If anybody knows me, they know that I am super passionate about teaching people about what we do. Um, the long-term care space is growing um, the U.S. Department of Labor and Statistics showed that by 2030, 21%, not to be confused with like 73 million people, will be age 65 and older. Currently, we're at 16.5%. So in seven years, get ready. We call this the silver tsunami. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then of those patients, 9 million or so will be 85 plus. So... We need to be educating pharmacists and healthcare providers about our geriatric patients. And what a better place to start than with our students and residents. So that's kind of my my passion is we're preparing for this wave. Get ready, y'all. <laughs> um, as far as ASCP involvement. Um, so shameless plug for all the students um, and even professionals that are out there listening Get involved with a national organization. And you're going to hear this from me multiple times today. Being involved with colleges of pharmacy and national organizations helps you grow. It helps other people grow. It fosters relationships and moves our industry forward. Um, as far as my involvement in ASCP, I am a Ohio chapter board member. Um, I am the past ASCP National Quality Impact Project or QIP chair. For those ASCP members that are listening, you guys might know this as the Fleetwood Project, renamed to QIP. Um, we're currently wrapping up a manuscript um, targeted at pharmacist impact in anticoagulant management in the long-term care space. Um, so super excited about that. Um, other past committee committees include pharmacy education and research, um, healthcare IT, um, I'm actually jumping over to Educational Affairs Council coming in 2024. Um, and then just anytime they have an ask for BCGP speaking engagements, anything of, that I can do to kind of help promote our profession, they know I'm on tap. Um, so, yeah, all kinds of hats in ASCP. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what I love about that, and you've already kind of mentioned this, not only do you have the ability to influence future people and, and the practice they do, but 
it helps your own network. You you learn about people that are in the space that can come alongside you and help you think through ideas. It's just there, there's so much value that comes from being involved in national organizations. So I'm just going to echo what, what you've said there. Um, so uh, I haven't mentioned this yet, but really one of the reasons that we asked you to come onto the podcast is to talk a little bit about how do you handle work and life and all these other things and the serving you're doing with ASCP as a pharmacy entrepreneur? And we're going to get to that in a second. But first, I just want to ask a question about how do you measure your own success as a pharmacy entrepreneur? Um, for example, what are some of the goals or milestones that you have achieved or that you aspire to achieve in your career? So this is a moving target. <laughs> um, most businesses fail within the first three years. Um, if you're going to make it, it's usually by year five. We're entering year six, which I'm super excited about, but this is a moving target. So the first couple of years were survival, taking any contracts you can get, whatever terms and baggage come with that. Um, a lot of times that was a lot of driving. Um, anything you do, can do to make the ball roll. Um, kind of the next target was COVID happened. Um, so navigating an industry that has that is highly regulated during a global pandemic. However, I thought this was a really exciting target in that we were able to utilize pharmacists for vaccination services, as well as like education on policies and procedures and helping implement that in the Paltax space. So kind of like the success there was we survived, we created a system, and now we have a system moving forward so that when we have a COVID-positive patient in a building, it's not a complete disaster. It's actually just part of our daily workflow now. Um, as far as current measurements, like where are we at? Right now we're in an expansion and building infrastructure phase. So if you want something to excel you need to have a good foundation. I think the Bible talks quite a bit about having a firm foundation. So first of all, we want to kind of build that infrastructure for the business for expansion purposes, which we're in the process of, you know, kind of creating some platforms, training, policies and procedures, those sorts of things to kind of help those who are new or new to us um, within the industry to help like kind of move that forward in a systematic um, fashion. But like my overall or my target goal, you can ask me this in, you know, 20, 20 or so years when I'm still here, <laughs> is I would love to be a trusted industry partner. So what does that mean? It means that both my competitors and my peers can come to me and say, hey, I've got this problem. Can you help me? Um, I think ultimately that's the direction we need to go. And if that's, you know, like starting with the end in mind where we want to go, creating those trusted relationships, people understanding your business ethics and, and the lines that you're willing to walk. Um, we start that now. Yep. Oh, that's great. So when you're creating a new, the new business entity, there's, like you mentioned, a lot of the survive at the beginning with the goal though, that eventually there's a thrive beyond all of the initial efforts. So I'd love if you could talk a little bit more about some of those challenges and opportunities that you faced um, as you've been building RX Architects. I was funny. We, I was actually talking with one of them, uh, with Alita, over lunch today. My first ever consulting trip that I went on, I was just out of residency, broke. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely broke. And I picked up a nail in the tire of my car 
and I couldn't afford to get anything fixed or fix a flat, those sorts of things. And I remember sitting in the parking lot of a skilled nursing facility underneath my car, kicking the spare tire that was (laughs) rusted up into the base of my car, being like, there's no other option, Lord. I have to go (laughs) forward today. Like, this is it. Um, So, like, obviously you have legitimately physical hurdles. um, But then you're looking at, you know, within a business startup, you've got to create your entity. You've got to create your bylaws, policies, and procedures. You've got to figure out payroll. You know, for any pharmacy students listening, and we can talk about this more later, take an accounting class. Basic (laughs) accounting is, it will change your world. Um, Fortunately, my, again, my parents being small business owners, I had a lot of exposure to accounting and accounting principles um, early on. So that wasn't so much of a struggle. Um, And then understanding like, what are your contractual terms? Um, One thing that I love to ask practicing pharmacists is, have you read your job description recently? Have you read your hiring contract? What does it say? How are you supposed to do your job? How do you interpret that? Um, This has definitely been something I've learned the hard way um, because it's, this healthcare is a business if we're being honest. And there have been times that I have been taken advantage of. However, I've learned from them. And so every time we recontract, we change what we're doing and we get a little bit better. So, Oh, that's great. Okay. So let's turn a little bit more personal to like the balancing of all the various things that you do. So uh, I'll just start by asking, how do you balance work and all the personal life stuff that you do as well when you're busy as a pharmacy entrepreneur? So one of the best things to happen to my professional work-life balance was actually getting married. Okay. (laughs) Not only do I have a wonderful spouse and, and somebody who listens to all of my crazy ideas, However, it has rate limited how much work I do. So seeing someone every day that they have a set schedule, like this is what is considered normal, right? So I have a gauge that like eight to five or whatever Casey's schedule may be. So what I've done is I've matched my operations schedule to my spouse's schedule. So that allows me to optimize the amount of time that like when I'm working, what I'm focused on. And then when, when we have personal time, we can have personal time. Kind of separates the, uh, the personal from the work, which that's always hard to do when you're a business owner. Um, as far as like more tactical strategies, um, I do time blocking. So I have a little bit of, an, of a crazy calendar. We have an annual, quarterly, monthly, weekly, and daily. So we start on the macro, putting people on the schedules, working down to the daily. Um, I operate with checklists, um, creation of systems, ensure compliance without quality sacrifices. So for any of our pilots that are out there listening, if you can create a system or a checklist, yes, we want to try to do that. Um, Effective use of downtime. 10 minutes of cell phone scrolling versus 10 minutes of contract review, 10 minutes of patient review, 10 minutes of email cleanup, 10 minutes here, 5 minutes here, 7 minutes there. Next thing you know, you hit an hour. So kind of like combining those, you know, little slots in your day together is is very effective. Um, and then keeping distractions to a minimum. Um, 
I do not host any social media on my cell phone. Um, if I do, it's on my laptop. So I have to like go out and seek it. Um, don't live in your email inbox. Oh my gosh, this is something that has plagued me. Um, I get into the, oh, there's an alert. I should answer that email. Some problems will solve themselves if you give them a little time. <laughs> so true. I um, I try not to live in my email inbox and I set aside time just for monitoring and assessing those things. Some of my nurse managers have figured out what times of the day I answer emails. So they treat it like a chat function, okay. um, in which case it's like, let's just make this a phone call. But yeah, so lots of different strategies. Um, I understand that it that time management is not a one-size-fits-all. Um, I think for both students and then other, like, practicing pharmacists that are out there listening, like, you need to know yourself. What op what hours do you best operate? What are your distractors? How can you eliminate them? You know, take those hurdles, and you have the ability to move them. So move them. Yep. Excellent stuff. So uh, I want to also ask, what role does your personal faith play in helping you maintain proper perspective in both your professional and personal life? So we could probably be here all day on this question. <laughs> um, so business ownership is hard, no matter what way you spin it. The mindset is very different than standard employment, and you're alone. There are not other resources. Um, there's not other people to fall back on. You're often left to engineer solutions with little or no resources plus consequences are yours. That's a lot of pressure, right? Like when you start talking about that, it's like an instant pressure cooker. Thankfully, my God can bear all those burdens and more. So, you know, if we look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, like trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean out on your own understanding in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Best business advice I ever got. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, something else that I am kind of passionate about are, you know, like Isaiah 55, 8, and 9. So like for the Lord's thoughts are not your thoughts. Um, neither are your ways, his ways, declares the Lord. And the heavens are higher than the earth, so his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So you're telling me the good Lord has a plan greater for me than any plan I have for myself? And I get some pretty grand plans. So if, if he's in the driver's seat and I allow him to be in the driver's seat, imagine where you can go. Imagine the people that you can impact. So I, I look at that and I go, man, like I get, I get a little bit juiced or excited in that. Like I, I have some crazy ideas. So Lord, you're in the driver's seat, take them wherever they're going to go. Now that's uh, wonderful advice. And I, I think it does give us proper perspective in the midst of what can be a lot of stress at times with the work that you're doing. So um, I'd like to ask a few more practical questions, too, about the specific topics of stress and burnout. Now, I feel like, uh, full caveat here, uh, burnout is, is a real thing, I think, for people. I think sometimes we probably overuse the term these days. But with that being said, um, I'd still love to hear, like, what are your ways, um, aside from what we've already talked about, to cope with um, stress and burnout as a pharmacy entrepreneur? And are there signs and symptoms that you watch for yourself that tell you, oh man, like uh, I probably overcommitted or I need to back off of something. 
Okay, so I'm going to kind of answer this in a couple of sections. So the first of which is going to be kind of like coping or dealing with the stress and burnout. So I want to echo back to that, who are you leaning on? Mm, Um, So Philippians 4, 6, and 7, um, you don't need to be anxious about anything. Um, But in every situation, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So with thanksgiving, it's not, Lord, give me the patience. It's, Lord, thank you for the patience. Thank you for the opportunity before it even gets here. That's the difference between being gracious and being faithful, right? So being faithful is I'm in the midst of this storm. I don't know what I'm doing, but Lord, I am so thankful you're here to to provide me this opportunity to learn, to grow, to, you know, whatever it may be. Um, So like, who are you leaning on and giving thanks for those things that maybe are pretty difficult? Um, Secondarily, kind of dealing with that stress and burnout Discipline, schedules and systems create habits. Um, When I get out of like habits, which like, you know, we don't have children. So that makes it a little hard for those who are listening who have kids. Like they have their own structure, right? And a whole other host of things that you have to care for. Um, So creation of systems and schedules, but eventually habits. Once you've formed habits, those are just things that you're become second nature. So creating time for devotionals, creating time to work out, creating time for who are you. Um, those are very important to this process. Um, kind of also in that managing um, basket is confidence in knowing who you are as a person. So this one is huge and something that I ask every Appy student and resident that we have on their first day. Um, so for those who have have um, spent some time with me, they have heard this before, without using the words pharmacist, pharmacy intern, or pharmacy, tell me who you are. If your career defines you, you're going to have a hard time because every job, I don't care if you're a pharmacist or if you're a mailman, whatever whatever you are, if your job defines you, Eventually, you are emotionally tied to it, and if you have a bad day, now it's now it's you know spiraling thoughts of of failure and burnout, and it's a lot harder to manage tough times, right? So, separating yourself from that career, um, number one, and and you can do that in a myriad of ways. Whether that's you know, with your faith journey, with your family, maybe you have some really interesting hobbies. Lately, I've had some students that get into some really wild and crazy things, and I'm like, I should probably try that. <laughs> um, so any any way that you can help define who you are outside of just your career. And those are kind of my, I guess, advice for like where you're at on if you're trying to manage the burnout. As for me specifically, Again, being a small business owner, you can't tell yourself, I'm burnt out, I need a break, because that might not, a break might not be in the cards. So for me, I try to reduce overstimulation. I'm what's called an extroverted introvert. It took me a long time to learn that about myself. Okay. <laughs> I thought I was an, uh, an extrovert, but apparently there's a whole other class of people who host very extroverted qualities, but they need some downtime. 
Um, so for me, like if I have too many days on the road, too much email blast, a lot of speaking engagements, um, you know, maybe the schedule is just a little too hot. Um, I need to find ways to kind of like back off that overstimulation. So time without the phone, time without the computer, um, time without other people, um, you know, like whether that's outside taking a walk, going for a workout, anything you can do to separate yourself from the work, the career, that definition, right? Like trying to recapture who you are. And um, so for me, it's that reduction of overstimulation. Um, as far as like how I also um, deal with this is I have a wonderful support system. You know, my my spouse is dynamite. Like he, he deals with all of my crazy ideas. And then also like looking at my family, they being previous business, business owners, even in a different industry, it may be different people, places, policies, but the problems really aren't that different. So having that excellent sounding board and then, you know, I have a pack or a gaggle of mentors. Like there are so many people that have poured into me over time that like being able to be like, hey, how do you deal with this situation? Tell me honestly. Um, and having those candid conversations. This last point in stress management, I'm currently getting to experience independently, and that's called delegation. Okay, there we go. <laughs> um, so sometimes you need to pass some things off. Um, and as somebody who likes a certain level of quality, finish, right, being trusting of people that, like, they've been well-trained enough to process them themselves, finding the right people that you can trust to delegate to, um, you know, giving others opportunity. So this is a new season for me, um, but we're, we're learning and it has been absolutely huge in like calling upon others to like step up in their roles or step out in their roles as well. I think I hit all the points in the question. <laughs> yeah. Well, all of that is great, great advice. I think, um, like you said, we all have to approach this differently, but you've given so many uh, little nuggets and food for thought. I think it's been excellent. So one of the things I've also observed is some of the most successful entrepreneurs are constantly curious, right? They're, they're not satisfied with, here's my one idea and I'm going to just make it work, right? They're constantly iterating these new ideas and learning, right? Really, creativity is, is not so much creating something out of nothing as if we were God, but we're taking the information we've gleaned over time and putting it together in different ways, right? So the uh, next question is really just related to how do you keep learning when you're so busy just doing the work of being an entrepreneur? How do you do that personally? So this is one where these opportunities kind of come to you. And what I mean by that is if you turn your ears on when you're wherever you are, right? So in my scenario, in my practice sites are long-term care facilities, whether that's a skilled nursing facility to an independent, whatever it is, that I, wherever it is that I am. When I'm there, be, being, listening to what the people are saying around me, where does it hurt? And then attack that. So what is it that people are struggling to complete? Fortunately, in the long-term care industry, we have something called CASPER reporting. I cannot off the top of my head recall what that acronym is, um, but it is part of our quality assurance initiatives that are required by all long-term care skilled nursing facilities that are basically the like cheat sheet of like, here are the things that hurt. 
So a lot of what I do is I take a look at that and go, what, what can we change? And so with change comes motivating others to change um, and get buy-in, which is, which is a whole nother topic all in of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but really that like finding innovation area is the pain of like, where does this hurt? How can we make this more seamless? So when I first started working, for me, it was, I need more time. Well, you can't buy time. You can't create more time. So how do you make time? You become more efficient. What things can we eliminate? Asking some of my vendors to make new reports within their software. Hey, I need you to make this report that cuts out three reports. Hey, I need you to add this function within the software that allows me to do this. Borrowing concepts from other industries even, like, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. The wheel works. We can just refit the wheel to the vehicle we're driving, right? So taking others' concepts and implementing them in your industry. So that's kind of a twofold, like, what do I need to operate? And then what do my clients need to operate? And and melding that. Yeah. Uh, there are so many good things to pull out from there. I don't even know where to go at this point. But, um, man, you've got my wheels turning on different things, the ideas that I have. Um, but anyway, let me turn back to, uh, I wanted to learn a little bit more about this idea of networking from your perspective. So you mentioned ASCP, um, and you, ha- you've mentioned your support network too. So what importance do you feel like networking has played in your career and what advice do you have for others about building a network? Yeah. So I'm going to be a broken record, professional organization involvement. <laughs> Pick one. There's a bunch of them out there. Um, for me, that's um, ASCP. Um, just know that being a part of an organization is is it can be cost effective, but it's not always time effective, right? So you're going to have to sacrifice some time to give. Um, however, that will produce opportunities. It it has not failed me yet. Um, the other kind of thought process with networking is if someone's not challenging your thought process or how you're, you know, moving forward or the direction you're moving in, you're in the wrong room. You need to hear alternative perspectives, even if they're not the ones you want to be hearing. Um, Now, that being said, when people give you advice, trust, but verify everything. (laughs) There you go. So, When it comes to building networks, it's just hosting conversations with people, telling them, like, I am passionate about this. How can I help you? They may not have an opportunity now, but I guarantee you when they do have an opportunity, they'll remember you. Um, Perfect example, um, Rob Box. Um, He's a gentleman here in Ohio who's also a consultant pharmacist. I've worked with him on the IPRO initiative with ASCP. They're looking at high-risk medications in the skilled nursing setting. Um, Rob and I have worked quite a bit on um, stuff with IPRO. And just recently at annual conference, he came to me. He's like, hey, can we do this? He's like, I feel like you, you can make this happen. And I go, no, Rob, we can make this happen. So like engaging people with their ideas, engaging people with like, you don't need to pass the baton. Sometimes you both got to carry it, right? So like yoking with other people who are also passionate and kind of pushing things forward. 
Another thing I wanted to ask you about that you mentioned earlier was this idea of how you frame failure or setback, because inevitably it's going to happen for all of us, right? We live in a broken world and we're all going to struggle with different things. But as an entrepreneur, I think you take on an additional level of risk, right? (laughs) Um, When it comes to that. So how do you deal with failure and setback as an entrepreneur? And how do you learn from those mistakes and then go to improve afterward? So I'm not a golfer by any means, but I think this also applies to like pool and most athletic um, like billiards in that like you can't follow every shot like with a mindset that you I failed and now I'm going to fail again. So this is a two-part answer. Um, Proverbs 18:21. the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. Speech is the picture of the mind. If you're speaking it, you're believing it. So when it comes to failure, if you're like, oh, man, I fail, I'm going to fail again. Yeah, you're right. You're going to fail again. But if you take that failure and go, oh, man, this didn't go how I wanted to, but I'm going to do it better next time. So taking that statement and turning it. I'm not perfect with this. I'm, I'm human, right? Like you... You will always have areas of failure, but how you turn that, you know, utilizing your internal dialogue, internal speech to put that outward will certainly change your perspective. The second part to dealing with failure, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances. It says all. That means even the bad. So there (laughs) are definitely times in life that are not easy. Just remember, it ain't finished until it's good. Um, So kind of like with that, we've weathered a lot of storms. Um, You know, most people think that pharmacy school, you know, that might be the most difficult thing that they do, particularly for professional students. Um, You know, I don't know personal lives, but, um, you know, if that's the most difficult thing you think you're going to do, man, life's got some surprises for you. (laughs) Um, So like giving thanks through those circumstances as they occur. Yeah. Excellent advice yet again. Um, So you have other people you're working with and you clearly have a, this idea of uh, innovation and creativity, right? Um, But how do you find partners and help them to think creatively and innovatively too? And maybe this will harken back to some things you already said, but how do you foster creativity in the people you work with? So I think the first step is being willing to foster creativity yourself. Um, And the kind of caveat with that is you need to be in the middle. This is people who know me know this is something that I'm passionate about. You need to be in the middle. You need to have people mentoring you above you and you need to also be mentoring people. So we need to learn and trust that which we have come before us. But then like if we're looking to be creative and create change, look at the people that you're mentoring. So students and residents, the answer is spend some time with your students and residents. Get involved with a local college of pharmacy if you can't precept. Um, Do shadows, site visits, whatever your employer will involve. What is behind us is what's showing us what's in front of us, right, as far as longitudinal time going goes. So when it comes to, like, creativity and innovation, Students today have so many more resources and ideas. And if I use my perspective only, we're never going to change. And that's kind of boring. (laughs) (laughs) So if you can engage students, engage residents or other learners of other levels, it's going to help drive that change or that innovation. 
Um, secondarily, if you can have students of other, you know, allied health, that also helps create change. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the last questions as we're wrapping up that I wanted to ask about is when we think about creativity and innovation in the space you've described in uh, Paltac, mm-hmm. um, what are some of those emerging issues or topics that you're passionate about or interested in exploring further in consulting pharmacy? Pharmacist impact assessments. So what does that mean? Every payer wants to know what you're worth. We can't tell you what we're worth if we don't know. So first we have to measure. So right now we're super passionate about measuring pharmacist impact in pick your disease state. We recently finished up um, opioid management and long-term care, published that earlier this year, had a wonderful opportunity to speak with some folks in the Northwest um, U.S. that they want to implement our training program. That's how you make change. Eventually, we're going to be looking at different billing standards than we have currently, whether that's provider status, incident two, you know, pick your flavor. However, we can't bill if there is no perceived outside value. So right now I'm super passionate about can we create research that shows what we as pharmacists do so that when, you know, operations and legislation change comes, we can say here's the evidence to say we need a spot at the table. We can help you save dollars, patients, you know, time, whatever it is that your pain point that where does it hurt? Here is the evidence, the proof in the pudding that we as pharmacists can help do that. So it's kind of my, my big passion right now. <laughs> yeah. And, and honestly, I think we as pharmacists need to band together and make that a passion in so many other areas. I know that just this week, CMS released some new um, standards related to behavioral health and opened up billing for many other providers. They're increasing reimbursement as well for those that already provide behavioral health services. But when I read it, there's something missing. I don't see the pharmacist in there. And I think part of it is because we haven't done what you just described. We haven't fully realized the value and documented it such that when a change like this is suggested, we have that seat at the table and we're recognized. So again, we could we could <laughs> say this in so many different sectors of pharmacy, right? Um, but measuring our value and showing that could not be any more important. So and that's those are great comments. Um, I, I want to turn practical and, and kind of give you the mic to give some advice to aspiring entrepreneurs here. So what advice would you have to someone who has an idea and they want to take it beyond that idea to a concept they can try to implement and test? What would you suggest they do? So if we're talking um, concepts or implementation, So in that realm, I would say certainly find somebody who's a content expert. Use your network. If you don't have a network, pharmacy is small enough that I guarantee you're maybe two pharmacists away from the person you need to be talking to. So ask. Just ask. Because if you don't ask, you won't have that resource. You won't have the ability to kind of make that initiative. If we're talking specific to business, Take an accounting course. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, the, if you can't follow your balance sheet, your business isn't going to make it. So you need to have a fundamental understanding of basic accounting. It doesn't have to be managerial or high-level organization accounting. It, you just got to know the balance sheet and how things move across it. Um, from a more emotional um, kind of spot, just do it. Jump. Do it. The longer you wait, 
the harder it gets to actually make that jump. Um, just taking the opportunity and running with it. If you fail, it's okay. You try again. There's plenty of examples of people who've been very successful and they failed many times out the gate. We follow some folks um, on social media that do um, like hobby farming and they do all of their homesteading themselves, but they didn't learn anything but by what they've taught themselves. And the kind of concept is nobody got good at doing something without first trying. You have to start somewhere. So start with fully knowing that you're not going to be successful and that's okay because that's going to build success later. So jump, do it. There's no better time than today. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Well, and if we learn from those, uh, those failures as they come, as you've already described for us, that is actually a success, right? Mm -hmm. Even if it doesn't go the way that we expect, but we have learned something that lets us do things better next time. That's a good thing. So, well, Cass, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. You've got me jazzed up about some of my own ideas and right. how to even <laughs> balance my own work and life a little better. So we appreciate your time and coming in to talk with us. Um, and yeah, maybe we'll get to do it again soon. I'd love to have you to talk about some of these other topics that you're passionate about. So again, many thanks for joining us today. All right. Thanks as well. You have been listening to Disrupt, a podcast from the Cedarville University Center for Pharmacy Innovation. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe and share this podcast with others. Thanks for listening.